Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <clears throat> hope you guys are well, as always. And I mean that. I hope you guys are well. Life's short. Take a deep breath. And enjoy what you have. And be grateful for what you have. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I try to do. Just life is precious and beautiful. Don't take it too seriously. Anyway, we're going to get into this podcast. But before we do, I just might say that this might be one of the better podcasts I've ever done on leash reactivity. Um, Sometimes I'm just in on a groove and I think this is well executed. And I say things in this podcast that I have never said before that really resonate with the dog owners. It also felt good for me. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this. If you're having problems with your dog, I know that this is going to give you perspective and help, confidence and motivation and inspiration. I uh, appreciate you guys so much for listening and supporting me. You guys are helping me live my dreams of being a professional dog trainer and uh, traveling the world. And so I appreciate you so much for helping me do that. If you want me to answer your questions, it's my only way of giving back here in the podcast. You have a question for me? Yeah, you listening, head over to the iTunes review chart and leave a review. And in your review, you can ask your question and I'll answer it on the next podcast. I'm also going to be answering three of your dog training questions at the end of this podcast. So make sure you listen to the end for more dog training tips and advice. And also I'm coming to the UK next month. I'm very excited to get over there to hang out with you guys for the weekend and help people and change their life with their dog. Link in the description below for all the details and ticket information. I can't wait to come back over and hang out with you guys sincerely. My friend Will Atherton is going to be over there hanging out, asking questions, and help me out with the seminar. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy the podcast, guys. What's going on? Okay, so we have a dog. How old is Bear, Tim? He's five. Five-year-old dog, rescue dog. Um, he what what um escalated us like we need help now. Is he bit a neighbor? um uh two weeks ago um and we're like we we need help um so background about bear um is that he has always just been really territorial around our house it's absolutely fine with our family of four we have um two older teens and um is sweet and very mild around us um like uh, kind of goofy nurturing, but is um, barks incessantly and lunges um, when anyone comes like in our yard and can sometimes uh, exhibit that same behavior like when he's out on a walk. He is absolutely fine. We can take him to daycare. He's fine there. Um, they never had a problem with him. Um, but when we literally have been navigating um, since we've had him, like we just don't have people over. We, we take him to boarding if we're going to have house guest because um, he's just, um, not, just nothing we've tried has worked with him. Um, you know, people say like, we've had a couple trainers say like, oh, just train him to go to a separate room. He just, um, you know, no, nothing's worked. We, we haven't been successful at all with that. So we've just dealt with him um you know not having people over in our house we were like we need help yeah that that makes sense so right now the biggest the biggest problem is when you have people over i mean he's good with he goes to daycare so he's good with dogs he's good with people but when people come to the house that's the that's a big thing i don't know if you'd say he's good with other people it's just we kind of stay away from other people like he has a couple um, people that have dogs in our neighborhood when, um, my husband works from home, takes them for walks. Mm. He's okay. Um, with like the lady who has treats, like he sits up and does great there, but we just try to pull him away from other people and dogs. Um, when he's out in free range, right? But I don't know why daycare has always been fine. It's been a puzzle to us, but, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's indoors and it's leash free. And I don't know. Um, we looked at some of your yeah. videos and it sounds like maybe dog people are looking at triggers that we don't actually see, um, that might set him off. Yeah. And also too, it's, it's about, 
uh, you guys also not being there. That's a that's a huge part of it. Uh, I would say oh, okay. mm, seven times out of ten when a dog is reactive towards people or, or aggressive, um, it's because of what's hanging onto the leash. And seventy percent of the time, once the owners are out of the picture, it never happens. So really, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's a that's something that people don't even ex- exactly. <laughs> that's the reaction we typically get uh, when when we talk about that because you know, dog owners start talking through the, their, their problems or their concerns, uh, or their, you know, things they want to work on with their dog. And they're like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. We bring him to, you know, another place and he's fine there. And obviously there's people that work there. There's humans there. So, uh, sometimes if the owners aren't around, then the problem doesn't exist because the owners are the reason why the dog is reacting aggressively in the first place. And so once yeah, you're he's like, out, yeah. Once once we once he comes into the lobby at the daycare, then he's pretty reactive, you know, when he sees us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's sense. it's a very 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 binary switch. So if you're around, there's a problem. If you're not around, there's no problem. So as a dog professional, my goal, uh, especially with behavior, is to try to isolate the trigger and the problem. And so this is a very, mm-hmm. you know clear issue of you guys being the problem because the only time that he acts the way that you don't like or the acts the way that is you know bad is is when you're around so just something to uh you know think about that's the that's the that kind of shifts how we were thinking of it so that's mm-hmm. interesting yeah yeah it's not it's probably not going to shift too much of like it's it's i mean it's not going to change anything as far as like okay well it's still there so what do we do and you know whatever but at least you know oh okay that's weird cuz just to give you perspective dogs that come in that have leash reactivity or threshold or barrier reactivity so cars people coming to the house people walking by people knocking on the door things like that if they're reactive and then you remove them from the scenario. So you take them out of the car, you move them out of the house, you take the leash away from the owner and they don't do it, then that's the variable. Like that's the mm-hmm. reason why it's happening. So it, what kind of, is he, what kind of dog is he? Do you see, I know he's five, but what, what is he? He's a rescue. So he's a mix. Um, so he looks like a really short lab. Okay. Um, uh, are the vet thinks he might have, the, they did that like DNA test, you know, mm-hmm. one of his litter mates and they said it was, partially dachshund and partially lab but he our, our vet thinks he has some chow in him which he said is not good okay he has a really long snout and he's his bite is like um uh like it, it's a harsh bark and a harsh like he's just he has a big like chomp it scares us yeah. and so we're like we need help now yep so can you explain to me what happened with the neighbor she came to the door to deliver something to us okay. and i had him in my left hand and then I uh, and then I, I reached for you know while trying to manage the door, and um, I must have let my left hand get a little too close to the action, <laughs> so he leapt up and got her hand as she was trying to give me you know something on the doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so you have two different things coming into the picture. Is you have your house, which is a it's like their big crate. It's like their home. So they're going to be more protective. That doesn't warrant a bite though. That doesn't warrant aggression. It just warrants maybe alert barking. Like if somebody knocked on my door with my very trained dog, I'm not going to expect her not to react. I just would be able to deescalate the situation within seconds to say, okay, thanks. Who's here? Okay, go lay down. So, but when you're dealing with the house stuff, ding dong, knock, 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 somebody's here. You're going to get that stimulation. So the dog's going to be like, whoa, 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 somebody's here. So that's kind of building up. It, it pressure cooks. And then, then when you reach over and, and again, none of these things are appropriate or warranted. I'm not trying to say that they are, but when you reach over to grab something from your neighbor, that's where the dog might then feel protective even more. Or in some cases, like get, get out of here. Um, there's danger. So they'll try to you know, nip the person or bite the person to get him away. And with dog behavior in general, there's a significant difference between a dog uh, correcting somebody, nipping somebody, attacking somebody, 
you know, there, there's significant differences between the puncture wounds and how they do it and their behavior. And a lot of times in these cases, the dog is actually just trying to scare the person away. They're not trying to attack unless they would have. They're not trying to break bones unless they would have. Uh, it's just one of these things that they're like, hey, get out. It's like a bee sting in somebody going to their nest. They know they can't kill you. They're not trying to kill you. They're just trying to get you away from the honey or the bee. Yeah. The only, the only other, I mean, we, we've worked with some trainers before to know we haven't, they haven't helped. We, we haven't figured it out yet. But one thing that he, Bear in the past, um, had aggression around was his food. And the trainers did help us successfully. There's no food aggression anymore. Like, mm-hmm. um, so we were able to, to, to make a lot of movement with that. Like we're in control, we're in charge of the food. He has a set, do whatever we say before we give him the food. He'll just sit there and wait. Prior to like us kind of like doing that with him, um, uh, he he would like sn- try to snatch his food, a little bit of aggression. And so we were so hopeful, but we just haven't had any movement. We, I mean, he's almost getting worse, I would say, or maybe we're just getting more paranoid mm-hmm. um, with this, uh, uh, you know, inappropriate reactivity and aggression related to us in the house. And when you say related to you, what does that mean? Like, um uh when we're walking um they are like on our trail behind our house mm-hmm. um like if someone comes over to like talk to us Got he it. just goes bonkers okay yeah understood so when you're out tim, for... would you agree with that tim because tim walks them more than i do yeah um yeah <clears throat> it, it will depend if the the other person has a dog that he uh he can get to know um sometimes that's okay um, so it, uh, it just depends, I guess on that, but if it's just a person without a dog, um, yeah, nine times out of 10, he's not going to like that. Um, he's gotten to know a couple of neighbors that also has a dog down the way and he's okay with them now, but he's gotten to know that they're okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So the people that he gets to know he's okay with, but the people that he doesn't know, with or without a dog, he's going to be reactive towards. But it's like off the charts reactive, like super barking. Like I have to take, I have to, we walk off the trail with him, like towards the trees. I'm sure I'd have tons of mosquito bites from this because we just don't want him anywhere near the trail. Cause he like, he, he, I mean, it's just not, it's not like a little bit of barking. It's like, Rarrr! yeah. Um, okay. okay. So the, the next question is, is what do you guys do when that happens? You're out for a walk. Somebody walks up to ask you a question. He reacts. What do you guys do? We're trying to, I mean, we, we, maybe it's bad. We've tried to be very preventative of it. So, like, I see a, a dog coming or a person coming. Mm-hmm. We go way off the trail. And so um, what I've tried a little bit more is I I, I, I kind of, like, hold his face. Like, Barry, you're okay. You're fine. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten to where he can, like, look at the person um, and not, like, bark like crazy um, sometimes. Sometimes he just, like, he, he just like it's almost like he's like feels like they're gonna attack him the way he responds it's just really bizarre mm-hmm. yeah so and tim you would agree that's that's the game plan is to try to avoid the situation and deflect yeah yeah that's um that's been our game plan uh, uh, you know we survival don't plan yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay yeah so how how long would you say the re- reactivity the timeline has been like has it been i know that you said you got it's progressionally it seems like it's getting worse or at least your anxiety about the reactions getting worse cuz now we actually have a bite but do you feel like it's gotten worse like over time or has he always been reactive in in this scenario he's always been reactive i think during the covid times when we were like all at home mm-hmm. i think it, it it seemed to get worse it seemed to increase in intensity yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, everyone's been, you know, been dealing with that of course, but okay. So now you're at a point where, okay. So, um, a couple things that I would just go over preliminary and this is generalized, uh, only because obviously I can't see what's happening, but I've had a tremendous amount of experience in exactly what you're talking about. And I yeah, would, we, so we thought your videos were very hopeful to us. Yeah. Maybe, very hopeful. maybe this guy, <laughs> Good, good. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. I'm glad. That's why I put them out. You know, people are out there like, oh, shit, what do I do? What do I do? And boom, they're like, yeah. oh, okay. So anyway, um, just a couple of notes is oftentimes, okay, so 
judging by what you're saying, let's say, and I'm just going to go off on a little thing here. We have a dog. We can bring him to a daycare with new people and with new dogs, and we let him in there. The girls or guys take him, and he's great. No no problems, no incidences. Uh, you come back, he gets reactive. So obviously there's like a protective thing going on, and that's what I'm thinking in my head. The other thing I'm thinking in my head too is um, there's definitely some resource guarding issues going on. And resource guarding is a blanket. It's not just one particular thing. It can be. But I'm more leaning towards resource guarding as a whole with this dog. So again, blanketed, uh, it used to be with food or toys, and it also can very, very easily transition to owners, which is you guys, obviously. Okay. Um, so when you go out, that could be some of the cause and some of the reason uh, why these things are happening. Uh, so somebody walks up to you and, and again, nobody really knows for sure, but again, with experience and and really uh, handling these situations the way that I have and the success that we've had, it seems to be react reactivity, reaction. The dog is, so think about reaction as, um, I always talk about like, uh, maybe like fire and a fuse together. They're a fire and a fuse, but if you put them together, there's a reaction, something happens. So when you're out walking and then something enters the environment, the dog then explodes. And typically again, because this isn't a dog that's going after random people or attacking people. The only circumstances this is happening is when you guys are around and something enters your mix. So then he barks and reacts, lunges. And what that typically is, is just say, Hey, get out of here go away. It's a kind of puffy chest type, like get out of here. I don't, I don't want you around. Um, sometimes it's because the dog is insecure with the owner and the language that I try to tell people is the dog is basically saying like, my owners don't know what to do. You're a threat. I love them. I'm going to protect them by doing all this scary stuff like a human would if somebody threatened them they would go into fight or flight they would either stand up and yell and scream and their voice would crack and they'd be nervous as heck but they'd be trying to protect their family or whoever they love or they would run and obviously and that's why a lot of leash reactivity gets so explosive is because you're trapped you can't do anything so the dog can't say hey mom dad let's go hijack it out of here we don't know what to do they feel the leash. They know that they're on the leash. They feel vulnerable and then they explode and they're like, well, I have to fight. So again, I definitely think that's some of your issue, but I, I don't know for sure if that's all the issue. I've also seen the other end of the spectrum. There's two other things that come down to leash reactivity peers or I'm saying pillars. First thing is the lack of just understanding of what to do. So if the dog doesn't know what to do with obedience, so inside, you know, just saying, Hey, heal, leave it, sit, stay. And oftentimes the response I get from most dog owners is, Oh yeah, yeah, we do all that. We've done that in puppy class. But the reality is, is if you can't do it in real life, none of it matters. I don't care if you've trained for 10 years with the best dog trainer, obedience dog trainer in the world. If you can't do it where it matters outside, then it's not applicable. It, it doesn't exist. So if you're out with your dog and you say heal, and then they lunge and they break their heel and they are jumping past you and they're growling and doing all these things, then, you know, that that's a problem. So the basic obedience is a really big part of this for two reasons is because it gives you an opportunity to give the dog an alternative task. So somebody comes to the door, you say, go to your place. He automatically has to go to his bed and you say, stay. Now, if your place and stay are really good, and you go to the door and you take that package, it eliminates the position of the dog to think that he needs to protect you. And it also sets the dog up for success by giving him something alternatively to do. Because dogs sit around all day patiently waiting for a job. They're, they're literally like, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something, but I'm not, I don't really know. And they're like, oh, walk, cool. We go out for a walk. And they're like, yeah, I'm still kind of bored. Like, that was great and everything. Oh, I'll go outside. So, so then, like, again, think about, sitting around being bored and then ding dong and they're like rawr, rawr. <laughs> so that kind of like compounds and then the third pillar i would say shooting from the hip here with this particular case is the ability to hold the dog accountable so they know what they're doing is wrong so they can think clearly so mm -hmm. if they lunge bark or in your case even bite somebody uh, if we're not also holding the dog accountable or correcting the dog under those circumstances at the right time, it's basic principles of psychology of like, somebody ran the stop sign. Well, did they know it was there? No. I'm like, well, 
you gotta, you, how are they going to know that, that, that they did that if they ran past that guard? So that's the other really big picture that I find with people is the dog says, I'm reactive because maybe I don't like people or I'm reactive maybe because I need to protect you. But at the end of the day, if your dog is doing something that ultimately could have them killed by biting people and, mm-hmm. you know, causing harm, nobody wants that. And to be honest with you, from the sounds of it, your dog definitely doesn't want that. They just don't have another choice. But they also probably don't know what they're doing is wrong either if we're not correcting them. So if you're out for a walk and your dog sees somebody, uh, ears will perk up, eyes will dilate, pupils will dilate. You might see the hackles start to go up and then they get really stiff, their mouth shuts and they're building. And so if you say, hey, look over here instead, they're like, get out of here, stop, get out. And it just makes things worse because you're basically trying to hold back a drunk guy that's really mad about the guy at the end of the bar and it just, it just makes it worse. And that's okay. where your handling comes in where you're like, we're going to do this alternatively. And then also your correction comes in to make sure that the dog knows not to do that. But if you don't have those two things, unfortunately, you'll have to deal with the reaction for a long time. Okay. Okay. Would you recommend us doing obedience, basic obedience training, uh, even here at five years old or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, so think about basic obedience as your communication. And so if somebody has lived for X amount of years, but their English is bad, because that's, I mean, you're really trying to get them to speak a second language. I mean, they're dogs, so they don't. So if you're like, hey, you know, you can, because your obedience, I want that's what I want you to think about. Your obedience is your ability to communicate with your dog. That's the only reason why we do it. Why do we put dogs through obedience school is because we want them to coexist with us and, and when you say something, they're like, got it. I know what that is. We've practiced. So you can always start obedience with a dog because they don't, you know, there's no timeline on it. Okay, good. But when you're using obedience to counter behaviors that has been going on for five years, that's where the, the old saying of you can't teach a dog new tricks because you're going to be using heal or leave it or place to counter some of these things that have been going on for five years. And that's going to be more difficult, but to teach a dog play, sit and stay at this age is the same as it would be if the dog was 14 weeks old. Mm-hmm. Just to put it into perspective. So uh, um, what, what I would again inject into the equation is when you're out, like what I, what I do, I just put together a, a dog reactivity course and we're working on it. And, and so a lot of the information I I talk about, and one of the biggest things that's helped me be successful is most dogs who are reactive don't want to be, they just, they simply don't, they just don't know really what else to do. They just kind of freak out. There's no, there's no filters on them. And so you have to kind of pull back a little bit and also again, think about your relationship with the dog the moment you walk out your door So if you get your leash out, get your poop bags out, the dog is excited, we're about to go do something, and then you go out the front door and they're right in front of you and they're kind of dictating how the walk's going to go, I just want you to, if you freeze-framed your walk with your dog and and you asked 20 people, who would be in charge in this walk? Like who, who, if, if there's somebody in charge, if there's a leader and a follower, who would you pick? And if the, and I don't know the answer, only you do, but if the answer is, is like, yeah, well, my dog is in front of me sniffing everything. Oh I'll, yeah. I'm sure. At least for me. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so just look at that picture and really think about like, okay, so, so then again, like your relationship with like your dog looks at that relationship as a, like a binding agreement of we are together. Like you look at it as like, I'm going to go out for a walk because it's good for me. It's good for the dog. It's good for nature. It's you know, a break from work. This is great. But the dog is like, we are a unit together. And so if the dog is in front all the time and dictating how everything is going to go, well, then of course, if something enters the mix, you know, if you, if you were walking around with a toddler and somebody came up and asked for directions, you're not going to look at the toddler and go, well, answer the guy. <laughs> you're going to say, oh, it's, it, you take a left up here, right? You're immediately going to initiate the assertiveness to take control. So when you're out with your dog and your dog is in front of you and making decisions, and I did a post today on Instagram actually about this. It doesn't matter if your dog's in front of you. 
it matters that when you say, okay, dog heel, the dog goes, yes, got it. I'm going to fall back in place and then walk at your heels until you tell me to break. So if that's something you can't do again, like when you're out and then something enters the mix and your dog says, I got this, that's what's happening. And then you're like doing everything you're doing, like the, you know, horse and pony show to try to, you know, like circus around like, and trying to like, and, and that's avoidance is okay to do if you, I mean, it's the safest thing to do if you don't know what else to do. But at the end of the day, obviously it doesn't help the dog overcome their, their fears. But I will say that that really compounds the reason why the dog is reactive in the first place. We go out with our dogs. Our dog's relationship is they're in charge the whole time. They make their rules. There's no boundaries or structure there. And so that also creates, that is one of the most singular reasons I've seen dogs become reactive in the first place is exactly like, like I talked about. You're the toddler, they're the adult, any situation that arises, they step up and then we just hold them back or we just push them away and we don't really assertively dismantle that and say, no, what, what, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so that's where you put the leash back on and you start really working on developing boundaries of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate behavior. And that's the way that you start teaching things to your dog. Does that okay. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's going to take the the. Um, I mean, he really hurt somebody. She did the ER. Like, so we are more anxious about you know trying things with him. Like, that's going to be a little bit hard for us. I'm just going to have to work with the obedience trainer, I guess. You know, we're going to be nervous. I'm going to be nervous about not going far off the trail. Um, more nervous than I was, you know, a month ago. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, because now it's, now there's, you got some skin in the game. It's like, yeah, right. you know, the, you know, before it was uh, annoying and inconvenient that we had a reactive dog, but then when something happens, you're like, okay, now this is serious. Right. So the, so going back to like your, I guess, uh, question about, um, the obedience and stuff like, yes, that's going to be a big piece to it because, and I, and I, and forgive me if any of this is redundant or, or, or you know, and all of this, but when there's a big and significant difference between obedience training and behavioral training, but oftentimes they, you know, they correlate like an athlete would correlate between playing football and basketball. It's like, okay, they can be good at both or, you know, whatever. So when you're doing obedience, that's obedience is your ability to communicate with your dog to essentially help them coexist with us humans, Um, especially any, anybody in life. It doesn't matter how busy you are, how many kids you have or how many kids you don't have. It's just, I want you to go sit down. I want you to sit. I want you to stay, you know, for whatever reason. I want you to go to your bed. I want you to stay. I want you to walk nicely on the leash. I want you to come back when called. All of those things are only put into place to help our dog be safe and to make sure the dog can, again, coexist with us. I'm going to let you off leash at this park. When I call you, I want you to come back. That way we can have our cake and eat it too. You're going to play run ragged because that's what you love to do and chase squirrels. But when I call you, you have to come back. And if you don't, it's deadly. And same thing with other parts of obedience where I say, hey, I want you to go to your bed and I want you to downstay because maybe your personality doesn't allow you to be comfortable around new people or maybe you're a puppy or, you know, six months old where you're just going to be the the end of the spectrum or it's like, ah, oh, who are you? Where are you coming from? Where are we going? What are you doing? What you got for me? Good to meet you, man. You know, or it's just like, I don't want you here. But at the end of the day, your, your ability, again, like, you know, like parenting is to say, you have, you know, my mom always used to say, because I said so, and now being a parent myself and obviously being an educator in the dog, I get it where I'm like, oh, there, that means I'm, it's for your own good. Just, I need you to go to your place and stay because the UPS driver's here. And if you bite this person, we're going to get sued and you're going to be put down. So you need to go to your place. You need to down and you need to stay. So that obedience is a really big piece to this. But then when you start working on behavioral work, it just, they correlate. But if you, you, you have to have both no matter what you do, Mm -hmm. because some people can do obedience and they never have to get into behavior because it just doesn't arise. Maybe, you know, genetics or whatever. They live in a farm and they never see anybody. So you're never, you know, who cares? But they, you do need both. 
But my question to dog owners whenever they're having behavioral issues, the first thing that you should audit and the very first thing that you should reflect on is how good is your communication and your obedience. And if it's if it's not good or hardly there at all, which is most people, because people don't put in the training work until there's a problem, which is normal, very normal, then then what ends up happening is it's like, okay, so you now have a behavioral problem, but you also don't have structure, you don't have foundation. So now we have to work mm-hmm. on this. We have to work on the top of the building, but you don't have stairs. So I have to, so you have to build these things up in order to combat that because you could just correct it. You could just say, leave it with whatever collar and leash you guys are comfortable with. And that works for your dog, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you're, you're missing an opportunity to help the dog also cope with the situation. And I find that having the, a nice blend between those is what ultimately puts the dog sustainably at success is to just have a blend, you know? So it would be, you know, just for an example, again, like say a kid just got really excited because they saw the ball across the street and they start running and you grab them by the back of the shirt and pull them to the ground. That's a correction. You're telling, you're, 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 you're telling, no, we, you're about to get hit by a car. And then, you know, and then they're, they say that, okay, that was stressful. They're crying. You, but you, you have to understand, and I'm trying to give you guys perspective here so you can mm-hmm. uh, inject this into your, your uh, dog with your dog. So, so that's the correction. The correction is supposed to be stressful. The correction is supposed to teach. Uh, the correction is, is very brief and momentary. It's just one quick little like, oh, one decision, you grabbing that shirt, pulling the dog or the human, the kid back. And they're like, Wah. and then the next thing you do is you teach them. You have to hold mom and dad's hand before we cross the road because it's because of these three, you know, these reasons. And so that's like a perfect blend of how I work with dogs and I work with animals is first, I want to teach you how to hold my hand when we get to crosswalks, period. I want that to be an automatic, you know, and then after that, it's going to be the communication of, well, if you do do something wrong, then that aversive correction, no matter what it is, it could be yelling at a kid. It could be, again, grabbing their shirt. It could be taking away their TikTok. Whatever you're doing to cause that stress has to matter. And that's where a lot of people, a lot of dog trainers, a lot of professionals, and a lot of dog owners in the world fall short is the correction and the enforcement that they're trying to do doesn't hit home with the particular dog. So they're like, I don't care about this because the ball is more important than TikTok or vice versa or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So when you're working with your dog, you have to take a step back and say, somebody's coming to the door. Somebody's walking. It's inevitable. You have to walk your dog. You see a person. And again, you're already going the avoidance route. And I mean, you already know that that's not working. And if it did, great. But I don't think we'd be talking if that was the case. Mm -hmm. So, so you're going to hit it at both angles of, I want you to heal, which means walk nicely at my heels. So technically, if you go to lunge at somebody, you're breaking your heel. So I can punish you for breaking the heel because you, you, you know that that's something that you have to stay in. So that's being disobedient. So, so again, like go to your room, kid goes to the room, they walk right back out, wrong, back in. So when a dog's in a heel or you can you can avoid you can you can give the dog an alternative motive of like hey that we're going to do this so you get your dog's favorite toy you get their favorite squeaker you get their favorite treats and you're using that to your advantage so you go out you say hey dog heel they start to see a person you inside turn the dog is going to be on your left side you turn inside to the dog wherever the head of the dog goes is where the mind will then follow so if you turn and go the other way the dog's head is going to be looking in the opposite direction of what they're loading on. And it'll, it'll naturally just decrease that build. And then, and, but you only, you're not going home. You're just doing that for two seconds. And then you may stop, put the dog into a sit, pay the dog, good sit, go back into a heel. And at any moment, your dog can start growling and then bark. But once your dog is at that point, we're correcting the dog for bad behavior you could correct the dog for not healing, but some dogs will just bark in a heel. And so my point is, is assertively, you would say, Hey, leave it. And you'd correct the dog for 
dangerously going after an individual that's telling you how beautiful the day is. I mean, it's wildly dangerous for the dog to even think that that's appropriate. But again, the caveat to that is the reason why your dog is reacting that way is because you're not assertive enough. So do you see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like this, you're the problem and solution type thing. And and it, that's just my experience over the decade I've been doing it specifically with reactive dogs is the dog is only reactive because they feel like you don't know what to do. So the moment you correct them for saying, hey, man, this is what are you doing? This is crazy. You know, somebody just asked for directions or somebody just somebody just walked by with their AirPods in and you're trying to hurt them. We're going to correct that, let the dog know that that's very inappropriate. And then the next moment, you're going to have another test and another test is going to be the next person. And so mm-hmm. when you say leave it, it's going to be then enforced by your correction. And whatever that correction is, we'll talk about later. That doesn't, that's not as important to me. It's, it's about the fundamentals of your dog is doing something wrong. We need to very clearly say, hey, this is inappropriate. You're going to kill yourself. This behavior is, going, is deadly. So mm-hmm. we correct the behavior with usually a verbal cue will come. So we'll say leave it and then immediate enforcement. It'd be like, Seeing a, seeing a speed sign that says 40 and you go 180 and there's a cop right there, whoop, you're, getting, you're immediately getting pulled over. That's, in, that's what law enforcements do. That's all they do is they enforce the laws that are set by the people. So when the dog starts to react like that, we correct the dog with a leave it. So it's immediately enforced right behind it. Now, the next dog, they say, and, and again, the, the objective, of course, is the dog is, oh, that was stressful. I didn't like that. That was an aversive consequence that's the point correcting your dog for bad behavior shouldn't be a reward because then you'd be rewarding them to do it again in the future and obviously that would be in my opinion incredibly insane and also just very 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 dangerous so when the dog says i'm going to lunge at this person enjoying their day leave it correction and then the next opportunity when the dog starts to build and you say leave it they have an opportunity to think about what they're doing and if they make a good decision to not react, that's where the other end of the spectrum comes in with tons of positive reinforcement. Yay, good leave it. Balls, toys, pats on the belly, uh, treats, whatever you can do to say that was a good decision. And what ends up happening is, specifically with dogs who are insecure, insecurely reactive, likely like your dog, where they're like, I don't really want to do this anyway. What ends up happening is, is they're like, thank God, I don't... I finally, you've take the you've taken the steering wheel from me, and I really didn't want to drive this whole time. So that's it's it's a classical operant conditioning type of theory. Here is just very very simply: this is good, this is bad. Um, obviously, it's more complex than that. It's more emotional than that. But the objective is is as you work through these problems with your dog, your dog understands then how to behave. They're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with a truly aggressive dog who actually just wants to hurt something because they enjoy it, A, it's very, very rare. I mean, one out of 50 reactive dogs or maybe it's, – it's very rare. It's, I very rarely see it. And B, those dogs are typically not vocal at all. They just go. They just want to kill. Mm-hmm. Like that's just what they do. You know, they'll kill anything the squirrels dogs cats they don't care they just kill and they're not doing it to be mean they're just doing it because they either have a prey drive or they've been taught to do it or whatever so when you get this very vocal insecure dog and they're like get out of here this is my mom she doesn't know and then correction you say hey man stop they go but no heal moving on good heal boom and they're like and then they kind of get this whole equation and it's easier said than done, obviously. I mean, when I'm saying this, you're right. like, you know, it's not like playing a video game, but that's kind of the idea of what you guys want to do. And if you lack those pillars of not correcting a dog for bad decisions uh, and no no basic foundational training, it'll create that very unhealthy relationship where the dog is reactive only when you're attached to the leash because they feel vulnerable and they feel like they need to do that. So... That's kind of like the diagnosis of what I think is going on and what you guys should be doing. Do you have any questions or comments on that? Tim, what are you thinking? 
Oh, no, that's uh, that's right on the money, I think. I think he's got it. I mean, obviously, he's been doing this for 10 years, and I think it, I think he's seen it, uh, seen our situation probably 100 times or you know, <laughs> yeah. thousands of times, probably. Yeah. Um, and the cases, I mean, we've never done, obviously, uh, you know, any obedience training at all. We've not done any um, formal training. Uh, obedience training with a with a trainer or anything like that at all so um you know i think it's so long as it's not too late and sounds like it's not then then we need to start that right away i think Mm -hmm. um to try and you know establish basically what he's saying here these pillars of yeah uh, of uh you know communication i guess so so because right now i'm sure i'm sure you can see it in his eyes. He doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a fearful dog. Um, very nervous, uh, you know, when he's, you know, when, when he's out of the house or not, and not, you know, around other people or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And that's how you'll, you'll kind of see that behavior on their sleeve a little bit is they, they react because they're, they're, they're in fight or flight. They're attached to a Yeah. They're attached to a person they love on a piece of rope, and they're like, this is the worst-case scenario for an insecure dog because they're like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. They don't want to run because they want to be with you, but they feel like you can't handle it. So yeah. um, the, the good thing is, and I'll tell you this, and, and, and I don't want you guys to feel terrible about it uh, because you shouldn't because a lot of people, in my experience, don't do proper training. They just don't until there's a problem. And then, and then boom, yeah. they're not, they, they talk to me or they find my videos or whatever or other right. people. So it's not, it's not uncommon for people to not go through training. Uh, however, it is, it is a very big piece of the foundation when you do have behavioral problems of like, okay, what's your communication like? What does your dog know? And if it's zero, it's like, then that's where you have to start. And that's what I tell people right. that come in to physically work with me. As I say, if you can't heal your dog on the on a loose leash for five feet, there's no way I'm going to be able to tell the dog how to think. You know, yeah, we have right. no we have nothing to work with. So find right. finding a trainer, uh, definitely. Um, there's some things that you can do at home, uh, just depending on you know how you guys are at home, you know, and how much time you have, and what learner and what type of learners you are. I have some courses and obviously a ton of videos that kind of go over these types of things, the no bad dog Kickstarter course, which is the course I developed for you. It's the people I meet just like you where they're like, okay, this makes sense. Where do we start? That course is perfect because it goes over the five things that you should start working on with your dog, but it doesn't just go over obedience. It goes over relationship and thresholds. And when I say relationships and thresholds, what that means is, is putting together very, very basic, very basic, easy to follow structure. And what that means to you and the dog is you're going to test the dog on their obedience and obedience is obey. So when I say sit and then I go to reach for the door and you get up and you say, okay, I'm out of here. We have to rewind because that's a problem. We can't even walk out the door without you flipping me off. So that program and that course that I have also goes over how to start rewiring your relationship with your dog as well, not just place. It, it goes over place, recall, heal, uh, create command, and stay, I believe. And it also, in oh, the break. But it goes over in depth of not just how to do it, but why we do it. Because the why is the relationship part. When you put your dog into a sit and a stay before you go out the door, it's it's not to be alpha or anything like that. It's just to say, I'm going to ask you to do something because I said so type thing. I just, you need to respect me and understand that when you want, because it's a very instinctual and primal thing for a dog to see your hand go to the handle. And then the next big step or trigger is jiggling that handle. And then poof, they're like, let's go to Disney. And they forget that you exist. They forget that you even told them to sit. They don't care. They're just ready to go. And that's a problem because that same equation, copy and pasted, is going to be you're out for a walk, your dog sees something that they want, and then they fire. And if and so at a smaller scale, 
you need to practice these exercises to make sure, like a boxer practicing for a match, I'm going to go through all the shadow boxing and all the motions and or any type of practice, whatever you're practicing for or whatever you're studying for is for the real thing. And so how you can do that at a very base level is just telling your dog, I want you to stay here until I release you because I said so. And then on my terms, I'm going to say, okay, now you can be a dog. And so when you go, so A, it really helps with your dog going, oh, okay, you're starting to step up here. Okay. So you want me to listen to you now? You want me to, you want me to, you're in charge and uh, that's really helpful. So I'm just giving you like a very small picture of what I'm talking about here. Okay. Um, but that'll be helpful for you guys to like kind of do homework with and, and I think it's a couple hours long, so it's, you know, it's a lot more than, you know, what we're talking about here, but more in depth. Okay. And we find that on your website or yeah. your YouTube channel? Okay. Yeah, it, it's pretty much it's pretty much everywhere. If you just Google Tom Davis No Bad Dogs Kickstarter course or No Bad Dogs Kickstarter course, it'll come up. Okay. But yeah, that's a you t- you kind of take it at your own pace. It's video formatted. It's with a puppy. Um and I originally put it together as a puppy course, but then I realized every single thing that my behavioral cases come in for are lacking what I just taught this puppy, every single one of okay. them. So that's okay. a, so I changed it to the Kickstarter course because that's where you should start for people like you, where you're like, okay, in theory all this makes sense, but where do we start? And that's that's a good start outside of this conversation. Okay. Um, so as uh, as far as uh, you know, one question I think I should go over with you guys. Um, or one question that you'll probably have right when we get off is like, okay, how do we hold the dog accountable and how we, how do we correct the dog? There's so many different things out there that you can use. For an example, there's slip leashes, slip collars, harnesses, prong collars, gentle leaders, you know, martingale collars, you name it, front clip harnesses, all that stuff. I'm the only thing I really care about is what works. And over the years and over the time of working with dogs, for a decade all over the world, I I have a list of equipment that have been sustainably the safest and most effective tools. And, uh, cause that's my, I mean, there's no, I mean, that's my job is to give you streamlined information. So, mm-hmm. uh, you can start off with, you can start off with your flat collar at home. Like if you don't have anything. Um, but if you were going to order some equipment, uh, depending on how much does your dog weigh? Do you know? He's uh, we just went to the vet. He's right at forty pounds. Okay, so maybe thirty-eight or so. What I would recommend is, and I can send this to you in an email too, if it's if 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 it's easier. But what I would recommend is you can start off with anything. I mean, you can use a piece of string, but you should get some training equipment that's going to be effective. The there's a the company is called Starmark, so S T A R. M-A-R-K, and they make um, training collars, and there's a small, and then there's a large. You guys should order two small of the Starmark plastic training co- They're like, they're called plastic, I think they're called plastic training collars, and what they are, it's like a prong collar, but it's 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 plastic, and what it does, uh, I'm just going to look it up, um, what it does is it, it distributes pressure evenly to safely correct the dog. Yeah, it's called Starmark Pro Training Collar. Um, and there's two sizes. There's one with a Doberman and there's one with like a Pomeranian. <laughs> so I, I always like the smaller, the smaller ones, the big ones are just massive. Um, so anyway, that's what I would recommend is a Starmark collar. You can get them off Amazon or Chewy for $7. <laughs> so you can order two of them for less than 15 bucks. It'll be at your data, be at your house tomorrow. If you have Amazon prime, I'm looking at it right now. Um, and that's a good place to start. And when you're using um, training equipment, I can send you over my training equipment intro as well. Uh, via yeah, you- that would be great. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, on YouTube. It's it's with a prong collar, but it's the same principle. It's being able to give your dog pressure safely. So if you use a flat collar, it's the flat collar is really only developed and invented for just like tags, or if you have a dog that just could care less and just walks like a unicorn, you know, perfect dog, you can use that. But um, when you're actually training, 
you're going to be using something that has what we call action. So the collar actually slides in and out and adds a little bit of pressure to the dog. Um, so a pressure, pressure and release system. And that's where I would start. And you want it just to briefly go over this. You want it to fit right behind the dog's ears. You don't want it on the dog's throat. You don't want it on the dog's chest. Um, that's the best way to start with that. Um, so that's what you can start with. And inside the house, again, just start off by re reestablishing your relationship with your dog, or in your case, potentially reestablish it, not even reestablish it, just, just establish it. So what you would do is you would do again, like for an example, you can do this with anything, anything that you do throughout your day where you can test your dog is the best thing that you could do. So let's say, again, you put your dog into a, a sit and a stay before you go outside. The minute you reach for that door, I would confidently say that your dog's going to pop up and your dog is going to say, okay, we're going out. And you're like, oh, well, okay. So they're basically blowing off your sit and they're selfishly saying like, this is what I'm doing. And that's not what you want. <laughs> so when you put your dog into a sit, that collar is going to hold them accountable safely. So we don't want to, because if you use a harness, it's going to physically pull them back. And then once the dog actually pulls and starts reacting aggressively, uh, the harness completely collapses, like not physically, but it doesn't work. It doesn't get the dog's attention. It's not supposed to. It's it's made for dogs to pull safely. So once they start pulling and reacting, it disables. So the collar, it's like putting a putting a harness on a horse. Like if you the the saddle that you get on, it's like wrapping your your reins around the saddle and expecting to control where the horse goes. It's not fundamentally ever going to work. You'd have to put it where wherever what what, what makes the decisions and that's on the dog's head. So the collar goes right behind the ears and then you hold the dog accountable. So you say dog sit, they say, okay, they put their butt on the ground and then you reach for the door, they get right back up, boom, accountability. And at that point, your dog is going to go, oh, this is, this is, this is different. Because what a lot of people do is they A, ignore that the dog get up, they open the door and then the dog runs through. And and you got to realize like the dog is tracking every piece of information you give this dog because they love you. And they want to know what you're going to do next. So you say sit, you go for the door, the dog gets up. So the dog already acknowledges, I only sit for one second. And then when I think you're going to go through the door is when I'm going to be at the door. And that's a big problem. So once you put your dog into a sit and they get up, pull your leash up, hold the dog accountable. Nope. It's just pressure back into the sit. And that will change a lot of things with you and your dog's relationship just right there. And the sit then you maybe take one step forward. You grab the handle of the door. The dog is still in the sit. You pay the dog however you want to pay. It could be with food. It could be with verbal. It could be with praise. What, however you pay the dog. I I particularly really uh, prefer the just good sit. If you give a dog food, it gets them excited. They wiggle their butt. They get up. If you touch them on the <laughs> head and get them excited, they get up. So I usually just play it cool. I say, good sit. And then I say, okay, break. And that's step one. I'll do it again. I'll come up. Hey, dog, sit. Dog puts the butt on the ground. I grab the door. Good sit. I pay the dog. So the dog is fundamentally understanding and following through. I'm going to stay here because you told me regardless of what, what I want to do. And that's where you, that's what you don't have right now is there's no filters. As soon as the dog thinks or sees, they react. And Mm -hmm. once you, once you actually start holding the dog accountable and you start teaching the dog that there's filters and you have to ask for permission for certain things, especially when you put them into a behavior, there's that structure. There's that boundary system. Okay. Well, I got to pay attention. It's like being in school and somebody's tapping the shoulder. I got to pay attention. Stop. 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 Somebody's talking. Mm -hmm. Stop. I got to pay. And that's what you don't have. Your dog thinks and then reacts. So, and then just fast forward, let's say, Obviously, the door is a problem. People coming over to your house uh, and, and you know, that's a problem. So then what you do is, and this is really important because this is where a lot of people, dog owners will fail tremendously is, again, you put your dog, you teach your dog the place, which is a, which is a bed 
or an isolated area that your dog goes to on command. It's a target. On your mark. Mm -hmm. That's what that saying comes from for dog actors or animal actors. Go to your mark on sets, right? So go to your place. The dog goes there. And then you're going to start working on stay. But what you don't do, this is where everyone fails, is they barely teach the dog what place is. A very, very introductional stage. Very green. And then they drop the leash, walk away, answer the door, and of course the dog is going to break that and go bark. And then you're going to get frustrated and say, well, this place shit doesn't work. You say, well, wait a minute. You just asked me how to enter the Tour de France, and I'm putting you on training wheels first. So no, you're not going to win the Tour de France. You don't know how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing any of this obedience, place, heal, leave it, stay, recall, anything, you have to do it in increments. It's Dogs don't see it. They, they break these things down, not just the big picture. You dropping the leash is one, one further step. You turning your back is another further step. You walking away from that place command while the leash is on the ground is another step. Adding in an external distraction at somebody for the, at the door is another step. You know, all these things you have to go in through steps. So that's, that's what you want to do is you would teach... You would teach all these things uh, in in steps. But again, like say you wanted to work on it tonight or tomorrow. Your dog has too much freedom and not enough understanding or control or obedience to be successful. And that's okay. That's nobody's fault. You haven't started yet. You can't get mad about something the dog doesn't know how to do. So what you do is you set him up for success. And to be honest, at this point, if somebody were to come knocking on your door right now, I'd say put a leash on your dog and put him in the other room because you don't have mm-hmm. the control to safely handle this situation. And it's unrealistic and even unfair for you then to ask the dog also to do these things because they don't know how to do it yet. Okay. So as you build up, like, let's say you worked on place stay for a week, which is a good start. Then if it, then if somebody and you can use this for each other if you have people that live in, in your house as a family you can use them as distractions as well so you would say place sit stay or place down stay and then you would hang on to the leash and let's say you're so let's say Tim comes to the door and the dog goes oh dad and gets off nope correction pressure back you have to stay here regardless of the distractions or until i say break it's just like when we say sit it's just like when we say down it's just like when we let you go to the food it's all of that you have to wait and be patient until i release you because i'm in the driver's seat and you're not because you're making really bad decisions so there's steps but you got to make sure that the very small steps is you're hanging on to you're hanging on to that leash until the dog is at a level three that's where my dog's at. Somebody comes to the door. She's going to bark. I'm going to say, go to your crate. She's going to go there. I'm going to say, okay, come out of your crate. Okay, now go right back in. Okay. And it's regardless of what environments are around. She can handle all of that. She's prepared. She's trained. She's prepped. She knows. So that is the crash course on, in my opinion, what you're what's going on and the things you need to do to start becoming successful. No training is better than bad training. So if you're not prepared for something, avoid it. Put them in the other room, walk in the other direction. But as you build up and you build your repertoire of getting better, then you'll be good. And then, like I said, I'll send you the prong collar intro video, which is the same intro that you'll use for the plastic pinch collar. And I'll send you all the equipment that I think you should get uh, to be successful. It's really just the 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 leash, or I'm sorry, the collar and the safety clip. Safety clip basically ensures that if for whatever reason that safety clip comes apart as your dog's reacting, that you still have a hold of your dog. Because when you're using equipment, you want that backup always. Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that sounds good. Mm. Cool. Um, yeah, and I'll send you maybe some other videos if you haven't watched them yet on, you know, what I think would be helpful for you on YouTube. Okay. Okay. One more question. Sure. What do you think we're going to mess up on first? What's going to be the hardest thing for us? It, the first thing that you're going to mess up on is the way that you're 
communicating with your dog. So what everyone does is they grab the leash, they hold it up high, and they say, dog, sit, 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 place, place. That's what everyone does. And that that's, that's not what you want to do. You want to be neutral. You want to be calm. You want to be like telling your son or daughter to go sit down to eat a sandwich and watch TV. Hey, I need you to come over here. I need you to sit. Here's your sandwich. Here's your drink. I'm going to go over here and, uh, and work. So you're, you're very neutral. I'm not, I'm not overly like, hey, let's cut it. Or I'm not like, you need to come. It's dog place, good place. Dog sit, good sit. Dog stay. And then the moment the dog gets up, uh-uh, correction. That's where everyone fails immediately. Is they And then okay. same thing with the leash. The leash is your lifeline to your dog. They can detect cancer and high blood pressure. They know if you're nervous or if you're insecure or if you're... So when you put that training collar on the dog attached to your leash, anytime that you put pressure on that dog, you're telling the dog information. You're telling them that they should be doing something different. I don't know if you've ever been on a horse before. You get on a horse and you pull the pressure in one direction, guess what? That horse is going to put you into a circle into that direction until you stop. So if you have a dog on a leash and a collar and you're giving them pressure, even if it's not, you know, we're not yanking on the dog, but they still feel that pressure. And you got to drop your arms and be neutral because your communication comes from your leash and your mouth. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you meeting with us. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. Like I said, I'll send you some follow-up stuff and um, just, you know, get to work and play it safe. If you feel overwhelmed or you feel whatever, just put the dog away. All right. All right, you guys. All right. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys, you've reached the end of the podcast. And the first question comes from Nico and Steph. Five-star review. Awesome trainer. uh, Thank you. Uh, Hello. uh, Thank you for sharing so much with us. I've been using your advice with my German Shepherd, and I've made a lot of progress with him. I have a question about fitting the knee collar. I have used an educator collar with my German Shepherd before. He has a medium coat, but his fur is a bit thick around his neck, and I'm having a hard time with the collar getting proper contact. I have the longer contact points, but the only time I get con- con- consistent contact is if I put the collar so tight it makes him choke. Yeah, don't do that. Get the wingtips. Dogtra makes wingtips. That's what you should do. Um, trying to see. What did you say? You have an educator? I don't know if it'll fit. It should fit your educator. Um, that's what I would do. I'd get the wing tips that doctor has. It should fit your educator. And that's going to help. Uh, it has comfort pads and then it has wing tips. And that's going to be what you should do. Uh, next one comes from R wood 881. Awesome work. Five star review. Thank you. Hey Tom, I have a dog who's reactive with some sort of, with some of the training you suggested. Sorry. I have a dog who's reactive and with some of the training you suggested to other clients, we have worked out our unwanted behaviors. My biggest question is, is my dog does have a bite history and mirror muzzled. We muzzle her when we take her out in public. And as of lately, she hasn't been reacting to other triggers. And I'm wondering what a point, um, it's a good question. If your dog doesn't have a bite history and you've been really successful without any reactions, I think it's safe to say to go without the muzzle and just play it out, play it safe, play it by ear, head on a swivel, and remember the muzzles to protect your dog from other people. So you have to advocate to make sure that other people aren't approaching your dog or, um, you know, things of that nature. So, yeah, I'm so happy that you're at that point, and that's my suggestion. Next one comes from JRod13. My Husky GSD mix is scared of strangers. Love your content. My seven-month-old Sheepa Rescue has a strong stranger danger, but great with other dogs and otherwise a fantastic dog. I've had her for about two months, and her obedience training is going really well and listen with mild distractions. Her fear of people causes her to be skittish in new environments and will not follow my direction in that state. On walk, she will break her heel to avoid a stranger as we walk past and will bark if she feels that they are approaching her to make strong eye contact with her. Aside from improving obedience training, what other approach would you recommend? I would be doing a lot of motivation um, when you're out. And so when you're out with her, I would be making sure that you're heavily paying her when she makes good decisions. So when she, you know, watches somebody go by and doesn't react, heavily pay her. Um, So you just have to spend some time desensitizing her around, excuse me, these other dogs, uh, other people, sorry. 
Um, and then just getting her in the right scenario. So don't put her in a place where it's too tight, where people have to walk directly next to her. Uh, and then I would just be using a lot of confidence building exercises, use the positive reinforcement while you're out. Somebody walks by, she doesn't react. Yes, good. Pay, ball, tug, um, food, whatever you can do to help her be more confident. And that's really what you should be doing uh, is going out other than the other than the uh, training that you said. So just takes time. Confidence takes time for everybody, every dog, every person. So just getting her out into those successful environments and helping her through it, the best thing to do. Um, but yeah. All right, you guys, I'm out of questions. So if you're listening to this and you want me to answer it, head on over to the iTunes review chart, leave a review. If you're on Spotify listening to this, do me a solid favor and leave a review. We would appreciate it so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.